On this episode of Uncle and the Young Bucks, we go through the week that was with our Cleveland teams. We bring you news of the weird. We talk Masters and Tiger Woods' amazing victory. We play the Browns' schedule game. Brandon hits us with some Browns trivia. We talk tribe baseball. And then we get into pop culture where we discuss Game of Thrones Season 8. Spoiler alert, you may not want to listen if you haven't seen Episode 1. And then... We have an interview with the one and only Brown superfan, Pumpkinhead. That's next on Uncle and the Young Bucks. Let's do this. Hey, and welcome. This is Eric. This is Brandon. And this is Drew. And we are Uncle and the Young Bucks. Welcome to this week's team rundown. Drew, take it away. What do you got for the Browns? 10-5, so looking at a little Browns action, we're a uh, little less than a week away from the draft. The Browns could be uh, jumping up into the first round, so you'll have to pay attention to that. And uh, the only other thing we have with the Browns this week, we uh, will take a look at the, the Browns schedule and play a little Browns schedule game here a little bit later in the episode. All right, and let's talk about the tribe real quick here. We've got uh, the, the Indians are currently standing at 11 and 7, one game up on the Minnesota Twins. Guys, it's not looking good. Kluber uh, went from one good start to another bad start. I don't even think he made it three innings uh, with the loss of Clevenger and now Kluber not looking like the Cy Young winner that he is. Trevor Bauer, thank God, bounced back. Cookie had 12 Ks in his game and his win the other day after dropping three straight to Kansas City. Uh, we actually came back and swept. Uh, our last series, and we're taking into Atlanta this weekend with that 11-7 record. Francisco Lindor is back in Cleveland this week to get a uh, opinion on his ankle. I uh, just don't want him to rush back. Uh, I hope not to see him until May, but it looks like he might get the call up next week and give us our much-needed support we need with his bat in this lineup right now. Hey, Brandon, what you got over there with the Cavs? Come on, Cavs. Gotta make it Turning our attention to our beloved Cleveland Cavaliers. You might remember last Friday was the coin flip between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Phoenix Suns, in which the winner will get the benefit of being able to select in the draft no worse than the sixth overall pick. Thankfully, we came out on the right side. Cleveland's luck prevailed, and we are now guaranteed to be picking no worse than the sixth overall pick. It does not guarantee anything other than that. However, the percentage breakdown for us being able to get picks 1 through 6 are as followed. First overall pick, we have a 14% chance. 2, 13.4. 3, 12.7. For the fourth overall pick, it's 11.9%. But we cannot fall any farther than 6th overall, which is definitely an advantage compared to Phoenix, who has the ability to drop back as far as 7th overall. In other draft news, shockingly, Zion Williamson declared for the NBA draft. Nothing of surprise there. It, it all pretty much is falling into place where John Morant, RJ Barrett, and Zion Williamson have all declared for the draft and will basically be the headline for this coming draft. I would say a consensus top three on most boards. They are the most likely people that I could see ending up in Cleveland. And that's just kind of how I think it's going to play out for the draft. If you got the first overall pick, you'll take Zion. Second will be a decision between Morant and Barrett. And then third will take whoever whoever didn't get taken between Morant and Barrett. 
And then to quickly wrap up some important offseason dates to know, May 14th is the draft lottery, the most important date this offseason because that's when the Cavs will know what pick they will have. June 20th is the official draft day. July 1st is the start of the new league year. And on July 1st, free agents can begin reaching verbal agreements. That is key, verbal, because not until July 6th can those players officially sign. And then at that point, teams can also start completing trades. And then late September will be when training camps open and basketball will be back in full swing. That is all I have for you. News of the Weird. News of the Weird this week. This one goes out to all you big curling fans. Yes, I oh, said come curling. Come on now. Curling? All right. Curling. Well, didn't the U.S. win the U.S. like the Olympic curling gold medal this year for like men's? They did. It was their. It was like their B team too. I, yeah, I believe. Yeah. You know, there is a curling league in Cleveland, and actually, my buddy Axel, if he's listening to this, I know he's in a curling league. He's gonna. He'll probably love this story. Okay, so so you got your your curling board. I don't even know what they call the surface. Think of that, and think of that times about three. And then instead of you know your little curling rocks, um, you have a car. And you have about seven or eight human beings pushing this car with a human being driving. What? Yes, there is Wait, a... That's the game? <laughs> that is how they play it in Russia. They have a new way uh, that the, the Soviet... What do they, they call it? Carling? It's literally called oh. Russian car curling. So you're telling me it's the exact same motive of the game like it's kind of like an icy surface slippery is like the goal of it it's not like a normal hard ground surface where like the wheels are actually turning and they're just pushing cars as if they were so like this is like kind of like a a derby if you will because these cars like just like in curling those things are getting smashed against each other have you like seen footage of this is like do like cars get smashed up against each other in order to like take position or do they like pull a car off after they're done they do. They just, you know, just like curling, they throw, push the car down and slam into each other. So you, read the article, Drew. I got to hear about this. Okay. So it says, have you ever watched curling and thought, man, this is great. But what yeah, if the stones were replaced with Soviet era cars? A Russian insur- insurance agent has. Ah, comrade, take the wheel. <laughs> says uh, the game works the same as regular old, old curling except a team pushes the car towards the target and stations one person inside to steer and everyone else seems to fall down on the way there. So do they have brooms and everyone's going, sweep, sweep, sweep? <laughs> they don't. I'm pretty sure you have to like be above the like intoxication limit for a vehicle in order to play that game over in Russia. It's like <laughs> the prerequisite not, before they allow you to like, step onto the ice. There's not enough vodka for me to do this. So they said the reason uh, the reason they decided to try this and why an insurance agent tried it, he said, and I quote, curling looks boring on TV, but I played it once with friends and realized what a great sport it was. So we decided to combine the idea of curling with cars. So it was already great sport. I tried it out, but man, we can make it so much better. Let's let's drive cars. <laughs> I don't I don't mind the idea actually. It's like it's like supersizing like something that's it's like you know how they have like the uh, the Jenga game where I, I'm not sure if it's Jenga. Like you pull out a a a wooden piece and then you set it on top and it was like you know it's like a small game. You build it up, you play it in your like living room, and then people are like no, let's supersize this and they make giant versions so, that you bring out at like restaurants. 
So, like, so basically, this is the concept of just supersizing it, and it becomes better. It, what we have basically is Russian collusion. I mean, collision. <laughs> well, well, according to the reports that released earlier today, <laughs> not getting into politics at all. I'm staying away. Oh, that that's probably a good place to end that conversation. <laughs> and that was news <laughs> of, news of the, the weird. weird. Thank you, Russia. Oh, that's great. Before hey, we jump uh, into anything else, guys, I I personally just as i know we kind of talked about it on the last podcast how much the masters meant to us and this was prior to finding out victory lap whoa wait what? <laughs> what's this what's this <laughs> uh, all right all right masters. Oh. Wait a second. Sir Eric, I remember, please i remember somebody telling me rory and i think i heard someone tell me <laughs> and i love rory, and i love rory but who won the green jacket for the fifth, is fifteenth? Dude, did you guys? Wood. Hey, uh, did you guys watch that thing? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I told you I was. I told you I'm sick when it comes to the Masters. It's my favorite sporting event. Uh, you know, followed by the World Series and 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 the uh, Super Bowl. It just it's just phenomenal. I woke up and that, you guys are gonna laugh. I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning. I had the Masters app on my iPhone. I went downstairs to my television. I streamed it to my Apple TV so I could watch it on my big ass TV. And I sat on my couch all freaking morning till what two o'clock in the afternoon when Tiger finally walked up eighteen. That was the most enjoyable Masters I have seen in probably six seven years. I can't, the names that like, were at the top of the leaderboard were just phenomenal. And that's what that's what it was for me. It was. I think there was a stretch from like 12 through like 17 when Tiger was taking the being down one or two role to now like taking over the lead. But you're to your point, every single person, every single time they cut from like Tiger to like another player, it was like Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, all these guys who are within one shot of the lead. And Poulter, I, yeah. Yeah, I had mentioned Poulter in our last podcast, and I said Poulter was going to be near the top and fall off, and what did he do? He actually hung Longer a lot on. longer than I thought, and he didn't fall off until the very end. In fact, I think he was playing with Brooks Kepka. The yeah, only one that was after 12, which was crazy, if you watched, four consecutive people put a ball in, including Francisco Molinari and Tony Finau. Thank you. So I don't know Finau. why I was drawing a blank. Brooks Kepka put one in the water, and I thought, okay, if Tiger can just get it on the green right here, he's going to win. Tiger puts it on the green, gets his par, goes to 13, goes to 14, goes up 15, and then when Molinari put the ball in the water on 15, when he hit that pine cone and dropped in the water, that's when Tiger won it. The Tiger roar because he hit that birdie, and then he goes to 16, put it within three feet. The crowd goes nuts. You saw the camera pans over to Brooks Kepka. He hears the roar. He stops. It didn't really bother him on 17, though, because he piped one down the middle of the fairway where Kepka, I think, you know, grinded a little bit was actually on 18. He hit a beautiful drive on 18, dead center, just missed the fairway to the right, goes up. He had a chance for birdie and he missed it by par, giving Tiger the opportunity. All he had to do is hit a bogey coming up to 18. And I will tell you guys, I, the chills I had, I told you guys I've, I've been to Augusta. I've been to Augusta. I've heard what they call the Tiger Roar, and it's different. It's just like you'll know the patrons will cheer for a good play for Phil, for anybody. When anyone makes a hole in one, like Bryson DeChambeau, when he had his hole in one on 16, that was a special moment. Everyone's up on their feet and everyone's cheering. Everyone's so happy for Bryson. But man, when Tiger gets a roar, it like you, you tingle. So when he was walking up 18, I just I had the chills. 
He shanked it off into into the woods to the right. He shanked it up and missed the green for his second shot. And all he had to do was part of this thing. And he leaves himself this super long uh, par putt uh, and then ends up, you know, knocking it in for his bogey to win it by one. I won't lie. I know a lot of people don't like Tiger. I actually had a tear in my eye when he goes up and hugs his son. It was it was Absolutely. a special moment. <clears throat> I have two young kids. I've got a daughter and a son, and uh, that was that was special, guys. I what what did you think, Drew? Drew, let me let me ask you because I know your pick wasn't Tiger, as I would say most people's picks weren't Tiger. After McElroy kind of fell off from you know he never really kind of established himself. Were you rooting for Tiger, or was that just your pick? You know to go against him. Um. Going into Saturday, uh, the funny thing is, and and I told you guys this, um, I, I actually put money down on on Dustin. Um, I just felt really good about how I was playing. And then, you know, come to Sunday. Dustin's back nine was phenomenal. He yeah. wasn't even in the hunt, and he tore it up. You know, Not going to lie, I thought you said <laughs> Dustin's backside is phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, these golfers nowadays, they work out enough to have one. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, but so no, listen, Uncle once, and the Young Bucks, as we commentate about golfers' butts. Brooks <laughs> But once, uh, you know, once Dustin, you know, didn't par that, you know, that 18, 17 or 18 to give him a, at least a shot to stay in it, you know, I was pulling for Tiger. I wanted to see him win it. You know, it was going to be a special moment, you know, that all of us would remember. It was like I was telling you how I almost came to tears because I was, you know, when he went up and hugged his, hugged his son Charlie and his daughter Sam, his mom, that when they embraced. And you saw how the, the all the players were happy for him, too. I mean, Kepka was there and, and gave, gave him a fist pound. Uh, it kind of reminded me about, you know, like tonight. Tonight was my daughter's a senior in high school, and tonight was her very last ever soccer game. She told me last week that she's not going to be playing in college because of an, a knee injury she had. And so, like, I connected with with Tiger on that level because I get it. Uh, you know, for him, it came, he came full circle uh, when he first won his first Masters and his dad was there on the side of the green and, and they embraced and hugged. You know, there's the human connection. So he's been through an awful lot. Granted, uh, all of it was self-inflicted, um, but he's been through a hell of a lot the past 10 years. Uh, you know, so, you know, from a human level, uh, it, it humanized Tiger Woods to a to a degree that I don't think many people ever thought they could see him be humanized. So, uh, you know, like again, like talking about with my daughter's last game tonight. You know, I, I just I get that. You know, you want your kids, you you, you know, to be around and and they're a special part of your life. And you know, like I got emotional tonight, and I get why Tiger got emotional there at the end. It was it, it pretty awesome moment. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I know. Drew and I both played soccer in high school, and I know mine was my, you know, mine my year of soccer was only my senior year. But you know, stepping off any sport, field, court, whatever you play on for the last time, whether it's high school, college, you know, that right there is for me was an incredibly emotional moment. Uh, I, I, I'm curious because obviously I'm not in the same life situation as you are. From a dad's perspective. And assuming you played sports in high school and went through that same thing that we went through, what sort of emotions are running through your head? And then, you know, to that, how are they different from what you felt when you walked off the court field, whatever it was for the last time? 
Well, I remember when I walked off, I didn't think I was done. Um, I, I, I thought I'd be playing in school. Life took me in a different direction, but two nights ago was my daughter's senior night. Um, she plays center back on defense. She used to play uh, center mid, and she was always a huge scoring threat. Uh, when she got up to high school, um, they needed defense badly, and she was a freshman that was playing on varsity, so they moved her back to defense because she volunteered, and she never moved from that spot. Uh, so she hadn't had many scoring opportunities. She's had uh, probably a dozen goals throughout her career, but uh, senior night, she actually had one from about 40 yards, went top shelf mid in the net, which was the most beautiful kick. I was so happy because it happened Upper on senior 90s. night. Oh, it was so great. Uh, it's, you know, thing so when, of beauty when, to see that. Yeah, so when your kid does something, and, and then there, you know something special about our group of girls, um, they've been playing together for – 11 years, uh, most of them 11 years, some of them even longer. Um, so we are, we're friends with their families. So it wasn't just my daughter. Uh, we have a connection to, you know, six other girls. So different from when I stepped off the field, because when I stepped off the field, I was ignorant and arrogant enough to think that I'd still play. And I still played baseball up until I was 24. Uh, then I got into softball and stuff, but then you know what, that at, at, a time when you're done, right? Um, my daughter, much more pragmatic. Uh, like I said, she, you know, emotional for me because I enjoy watching her play. But, uh, you know, she told me, like I said last week, that she's she's done uh, because of an injury she had. She had a dislocated kneecap last year, so she's done. Uh, so a little different. I'm handling it, uh, you know, like I should, and that's it's her decision. Um, you know. I don't have to like it. Uh, it, it <laughs> what you know, it's, it's she's got to make herself happy. So, uh, but, but it's emotional, and that's like I said. You know, going going back to like with the Tiger Woods conversation, it's like I get those emotions, I get those connections, and I get needing to have your family around and your children around and share those moments with them because they're important and they're things that you remember. They're things that no one can take away from you. Absolutely, man. Well, with that, guys, I mean, I, 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 it was really emotional, so I kind of don't want to talk about it no more. Sorry about that. But uh, I tell you what, yeah, you know what was released yesterday, right, Drew? Oh, boy, do I know it was released. The Browns football schedule. <laughs> so uh, let's play a little schedule game. So we got week, week one. We got the old home opener, September 8th, against the Tennessee Titans. I am going to mark that down as a Browns victory. You mean you're not going to go through the preseason? Come on, Drew. That's weak. Oh, I put out a I tweet mean, earlier today. I mean, come size. on. We got to get the barge back, right? We played their lines. You got to get the barge back. I, I put out a tweet earlier today talking about the preseason, and basically it was like, you know, post a picture of a, a Browns moment, and it was myself and, and one of my buddies, John, maybe, maybe John, you're listening, John Woods, and we were at a Browns preseason game. It was uh, Miles Garrett's rookie year. And I left a comment. It was, uh, you know, Browns preseason football. The only time that teams ever feared us for the last decade. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so about right. very glad that, that is changing. So, so, all right. So who do you have, Drew, week one and versus the Titans? Week one of the Titans, I got the Browns. I think uh, they'll come out inspired, you know, kind of wild crowd. And... Start out uh, one and zero to begin the season. So hey, why don't we do this, what, Drew? Why don't you run down what you have, okay. or do you want to do it game by game and have all three of us do it? I mean, I like I, I'm okay with either game. way. Game by game. All right, then, then Brandon, what do you what do you have that for week one? So yeah, I 
the hype train is going to be unreal in Cleveland. It's a home game. I know it's not a primetime game, but a Cleveland 1 p.m. start time is about as good as you can ask for, for for Browns fans over the last you know 10 years. I think there's going to be an incredible show out. And frankly, in terms of actual gameplay, I have real concerns about the Titans offense. Last year, it was completely, completely All dominant. right, way of- too much analysis. Who's winning the game, Brandon? Browns over Titans in a blow. <laughs> hey, right now, Baker Mayfield's better than Marcus Mariota. Whoa. As Whoa. Ken Carmen and Andy. Yeah. No, Baker's better than Mariota. Mariota can't field, and I'm going with the Browns. Good All call. right. So week two, we get a little Monday night football action. The first bum, 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 bum. prime time game. Bum, we bum, are at the bum. New York Jets. 50th uh, anniversary Monday night game. That is true. Um, the Browns to keep it nice, short, to... sweet to keep it nice, short, and sweet without any, anal- an- you know, any. Wow, I can't talk without any analysis, so that you know, Eric doesn't get on me. Browns win. W good. Next week three, week three, guys. What's that? <laughs> what? I, you didn't even get my pick. No, 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 no. too much, too much analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking Browns week two. I'm taking so, the Browns against the Jets week three. We got the Los Angeles Rams at home. That is a Sunday night football game. Little NBC action. Um, that's going to be, I think, the first big real test for the Browns. Not that the first two weeks won't be, um, but I think they squeak this one out. I think the Rams were a little bit of a different team the last half of last year. They weren't quite as explosive, um, and you know that might be losing Cooper Cup. But I think the Browns. I think the Browns start out three and zero. I'm going to say, guys, uh, don't kill me for this one. Uh, this is going to be our first loss. Um, I think it's our first biggest test. I think, you know, there's 16 games on the, on the schedule. I have them going 11 and five overall. This is going to be one of those five losses. So unfortunately this, this involves a little bit of analysis, but early on in the season, I think Todd Gurley might still be a little bit shaken up from, you know, from his injury. I'm, I'm concerned about how he is going to be performing. Uh, and, and I think that the hype train being two and zero going into a Sunday night football game will be an incredible momentum booster for for the Browns on their first Sunday night football game in what seems like literally forever. I'm not sure if someone has that off the top of their head, but I'm actually going to take the Browns over the Rams in a very high-scoring game in which defense is not, not a factor. Absolutely. Week four, we are at the Baltimore Ravens. That's a 1 o'clock kick. Um, I think that will be the first Browns loss of the season. Uh, it's always been tough to win in Baltimore. I think that's where they take the first one on the chin. I also got them losing this one. Uh, it's away. Lamar Jackson's got a lot to prove, especially against us. Uh, I got them losing this one, but uh, that's okay. We still got 11 wins to go. So I don't know how the heck Baltimore is going to score because all they do is have a quarterback that runs, and they got worse at every other position, basically besides safety. So I'm actually going to take the Browns over the Ravens at the Ravens week four. Interesting, interesting. So we got a week five matchup at San Francisco, another Monday night football game. Um, I think the Browns are going to take this one. Um, we're not still not sure about Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, you know, coming into San Francisco the first year, you know, they go on a little 5-0 run, but coming off uh, an injury, Last year, I think the Browns take them week five. I got them beating the 49ers and sweeping Monday night football. I'm not sure that Garoppolo is going to be playing in this one, guys. I have a feeling that uh, he's going to be one of those guys that we're going to be saying back you know, years from now, what would have, could have, should have. 
Uh, I think he's going to have the injury bug early on. If, if Jimmy G plays, and not at all that I think the San Francisco 49ers are a better team than the Browns, but being on week two of a road trip all the way out west, I think the 49ers are going to somehow find a way to win if Jimmy G is playing at very healthy football game. Week six, we finally get the you know highest paid quarterback coming into Cleveland at the one o'clock kick. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I think the Browns take a, another loss in this one. Seattle is a a tough team. Um, I I think it's a, it's a weird you know coming back across the country from a Monday night game coming to play Seattle. It's gonna be a tough one. So I think the Browns Ain't lose this gonna one. Gonna happen. They're gonna beat this one, and here's why. Seattle's coming from Seattle all the way to Cleveland. It's going to be 10 o'clock their time. Their body clocks. Body clocks are a big thing in the NFL. they got to travel cross country. Browns take this one, and I think this one is a statement game for Baker because it's going to be Baker versus Russell Wilson, and I think Baker shows Russell Wilson up. They take this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great, great quarterback duel, and unfortunately, I do think that the Seattle Seahawks are just such a balanced team run past that they're going to find a way to break us down over time and, and barely outscore us in, in a 27 to 21 football game. So hey, let's, guess what? The bye week. They win the bye week. <laughs> they win the bye week. The so sad we, thing is, is this has been the best week in Cleveland Browns football for the last two decades because it's the only week we don't have to go back into complete depression over a football loss. Absolutely. Well, Hopefully. This is where I think this is where it's going to get interesting. But go on, Drew. Go on with the next week, and I'll tell you why. I was just going to say, hopefully, you know, you know, they they start off the season that that's a tough two week span for us to wait. Uh, you know, week eight we are at the New England Patriots, four twenty five. We get a little Tony Romo action. Um, this is going to be another tough test for the Browns, depending on. You know, New England, they kind of get off to a slow start, but I think they will have kind of caught traction by that point. So I'm going to mark that down as a another Browns loss. Yeah, I've got what I've got here is the toughest stretch in the schedule uh, that I see. Uh, Browns fans that are listening to this aren't going to like me right now. But remember, the Browns are going to finish 11 and five. I got them losing this game at New England in a prime. Well, not prime time slot, but the 425. Uh, the Romo uh, slot time. Yeah, the Romo slot time. They, I had them losing against the Patriots. I've got them at three losses right now. So I actually have the Browns coming off of back-to-back losses, Seattle, and then the 49ers in the week prior with the bye week. And this is just kind of the opposite case of with the 49ers. I don't think that the Browns are a better team than the Patriots, but I think with the extra week of preparation and rest that I think the Browns are going to march into Gillette Stadium and take this one straight out from underneath their noses. It'll be a close game, but I see Browns winning by a Tony Romo call at the end of the game, which we all laugh about the next day. I, I really do from think the Browns will come away From your lips to God's ears. Yeah. From your lips to God's ears. So, oh, Jim, look, he's going <laughs> <laughs> So jumping back into week nine, they travel back across the country to take on the Denver Broncos. That's another 425 game. Uh, I think... You know, seeing them win there last year, I think they find a way to get another dub this year and, and take another victory in Denver. Well, this is where this is where the Browns fans get mad at me because I have them losing back-to-back games here. Uh, this is where the Browns fans are going to start to panic. They're going to have four losses on the year. Uh, Baker last year uh, did phenomenal things to win that game against Denver. I just don't see it happening this year. Not that Denver's a better team. Not that Joe Flacco matters any bit. 
Uh, I just think going across the country and playing in a high altitude, I think this one's going to be a super close game. Uh, I bet you it's going to be like a 24-21 loss uh, nail-biter, and then Browns fans are going to be freaking out because we're going to be you know, near the top of the AFC North, but it's probably going to be pretty tight, and uh, Browns fans are going to be freaking out right now. But again, four losses, but the Browns are going to win 11, so I got special things coming up. I am really concerned this year for the Denver Broncos. I think Joe Flacco was a bad solution at quarterback unless they address something in the draft that I don't know about. But frankly, I'm really concerned about them. I think they're going to be one of the bottom teams in the NFL. And I see the Browns coming away with an easy win, win by three touchdowns here, even though it's at Denver, 425 start time. I like the optimism. So we go over to one of the wildest fan bases to play, the Buffalo Bills. You can I will be in attendance, gentlemen. This one, mark your calendars. I will be in town. Absolutely. You going to uh, powerbomb some fans through the tables like the Bills fans do? No, that I'll leave that to the Bills Mafia. However, I am <laughs> bringing in tow. I am bringing in tow a Buffalo Bills fan with me, my buddy Tim, who <laughs> listens to the podcast. We're flying up from Atlanta to this game. We will be there partying with the dog pound. Can't wait to do it. What I like to hear. So I have the Browns taking down a Josh Allen and his awful arm Bills team. I've got the Browns whooping the Buffalo Bills, and I'm going to be rubbing in Tim's face the entire time we're there watching this game. Guys, Browns fans, treat him good. I've told him a lot about us. I told him that we love you guys, uh, but he is going to be drowning his sorrows in the beer that I'll buy in him after the game. Tim, I look forward to meeting you, and then I look forward to rubbing in your face that my team smashed yours. Bills Mafia, I got a lot, lot of love for you, but I just don't see it happening this year. Browns big time. Week 11, our first Steelers matchup. We'll get a little Thursday night football action. This is the uh, weirdest part of our schedule, guys. Absolutely. We Five of the last seven games are AFC North rivals. And you Incredible. have Pittsburgh in what, a span of 16 days? Twice? Yeah, yeah but yeah, it's crazy. Go on. So I think this will be you know, a smash-mouth AFC North football game. And I have the Browns coming out on top with it being in Cleveland. Um, you'll be another fun Thursday night football game um, up in Cleveland. All right, guys, hear me out. Short week for the Browns because they got the Bills on the 10th, Steelers on the 14th. This is going to be the last win Pittsburgh is going to have in Cleveland for a long time. This is going to be the Browns' fifth loss of the year. But you know what that means? They win out! <laughs> I, I actually also see them and i'm not sure why i just got a kind of weird feeling that the browns are gonna i don't know what it what it'll be maybe it'll be playing an easy opponent the week before uh, i just don't see them winning this game i see it being close i see it being you know i see it being like a crappy game earlier last season where we ended up tying where nobody came away happy and even though the steelers might win it's not going to be a happy win but I have some planned redemption potentially later on in the schedule, if you know what I mean. I think I, I think I catch your drift. So we jump to week 12. We got the Miami Dolphins coming to town. Uh, this is possibly one of the worst teams on our entire schedule. So I think we will send the Dolphins back to Florida with a sour taste in their mouth. Guys, I already told you the Browns were only losing five games this year. I already have five losses on the schedule. This is a win. Yeah, I, I got another yeah, bad team. Cleveland Browns are a good team, we hope. I got another big win here for the Browns. And it's my dad's birthday, so they have to win. 
happy birthday, uh, Mr. No, happy birthday, Grandpa Uncle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happy well, birthday, well, Grandpa Uncle. I like it. But that's not until November 24th, so we still got some time. Pre-happy birthday, Grandpa Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. So we jumped to week 13. We grabbed the Steelers for the second time in a 16-day span in Pittsburgh, 425. I think this is where they grab another loss. It's going to be a tough game in Pittsburgh. Uh, we haven't had the greatest luck playing over there. So I think this is loss number four for the Browns. Not so fast to quote, Brandon. They're going on a hot streak. They're going to end the season with five wins. This game in Pittsburgh, they're going to shock people. And I'm telling you, Pittsburgh is on the downslide. Roethlisberger's not getting any uh, younger. They're going to be in trouble. Mason Rudolph ain't going to save that that franchise. Browns win this one big. This is going to be a huge game. Big win. Three touchdowns or more. Watch it. Redemption. Browns win. Big time. I don't know why. I just got a good feeling about us at the Steelers and them waving those nasty-ass towels around and, and Cleveland Browns fans who hopefully travel well to the game are ecstatic because the team just just smothers the Steelers and starts the years to come of domination over the city of Pittsburgh. So we'll get a little Bengals action week 14. Hopefully, you know, for the, the sake of being a good game, Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, and Mixon are in one piece at this point of the season. Uh, they have shown in previous years that it would not be the case. Either way, I think the Browns smack the Bengals in Cleveland. The Bengals are the Bungles again. I already have them winning this game. The Bengals are the Bungles, and yeah, there's just no way the Browns can lose the Bengals this year. I, I I don't see there's some talent on the offensive side. I just don't know how they can connect a, together a full game that will just be better than what the Browns can throw out, even with backups. I just I see the Browns winning big in both these games. So week 15, one of the most storyline-driven matchups of this entire season, although it is the lowly Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, who will probably take Kyler Murray, number one in the draft this year, takes on the Browns in a 4-0-5 game. And if you don't know, Cliff Kingsbury is the, the dude at Texas Tech who sat Baker and basically told him he would not play. So Baker then decided to transfer. And Baker does not like the dude, so I think the Browns come for a little revenge action and smack the Cardinals, who aren't a very good team to begin with. Well, it's not going to be a revenge action for the Browns. What it's going to be, it's going to be the Baker show. Baker's going to come out. He's going to ball out. I think Josh Rowe traded before the season's out. I keep hearing rumors to the Giants, which I still think that's a big mistake. I think the Giants should take Haskins. However, they're going to take Kyler Murray by this point in the season. If Kyler Murray is not the starter in Arizona, I'd be shocked. But Baker's going to come out. Baker's going to ball. This is going to be like a uh, four-score blowout. I, I just I don't see Arizona, and I know that's really stupid of me to say so far out, you know, with the season still months away, but this is going to be a blowout. Oh, yeah. The, it, this will be a bake-off, so to say. Baker Mayfield is going to be uh, – I think the guy might actually throw a couple of interceptions because of how stupidly aggressive he's going to be, and that's just kind of Baker style. He got him into trouble a few times last year with how – unscared he was at everything you know that is being in front of him and faced hit with him at the same time but you know I do see the Browns winning by a, a pretty steady margin the Arizona Cardinals are just not that good of a team so week 16 the Ravens come to town 
That is the second of the two matchups uh, this year. Uh, I think the Browns will have had a game to adjust and will find a way to pull this one out in Cleveland, setting up a decently big game week 17 against the Bengals. Yeah, this is going to be a statement game for me, too, because if you remember, I had them losing that first game against the Bengals at Baltimore. Um, this this particular game, this one's going to be rough. However, they're going to come out. They're going to want to make a statement and show Baltimore, show Cincinnati, show Pittsburgh that we are no longer the laughing stock of the NFL. Uh, this is a win. Uh, I don't see it being a blowout. I see it being maybe a, a 10 point, maybe a 12 point win, but uh, it'll be close and Baker finishes out. With the way that all of you know the AFC North schedules look to face out, this will be, I think, the most important game of the year. I think this game right here, if we can pull out a W, that we might be able to lock up the division before even having to face the Bengals a second time. So I do see the Browns winning in a very close game. Ravens playing their heart out because they're on maybe the brink of, of playoffs and they just get beat by the Browns in a very close game. As Brandon just mentioned, um, you know, I do think that the the Browns could have, you know, a chance to get the division locked up here in week 16. At, at 10 and 5, it very well may be locked up. And that is why I was kind of leading in towards, you know, maybe the Browns, you know, taking that week 17 as, you know, a game just to kind of get themselves ready, you know, to get into the playoffs. But I'm going to be optimistic here. I think the Browns put their foot on the throat. They go down to Cincinnati, they smack them, and then they just they come home ready to take on whoever decides to come to Cleveland uh, the week after. Well, I think at this point you're right. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of the starters being rested. I think at 10-5 and 5, we will have the division uh, wrapped up. So this will be one of those games that we haven't seen in Cleveland ever where we're resting starters for the playoffs because we finally have so much depth. And if you look at Cincinnati, Cincinnati's not – Cincinnati of two, three, four years ago. So I think this is going to be, be a close game, but the Browns come away with the win. They finish the season 11-5, AFC North champs. Dang, and I thought I'd be clever by mentioning that the Browns could potentially be resting starters at this point in the season, which is actually why I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bungles because I think that the Browns will have already locked up the AFC North title with their win over the Ravens. In the previous week, I have the Browns only losing one AFC North game heading into Week 17, so I think that would put them at a clear advantage to win the division. So I have the Browns taking a total rest week and allowing the Bengals to, you know, because they're a part of Ohio, even though I consider Cincinnati a part of Kentucky, to get to get an honorable win to end the season before we have, host a playoff game at home. And who knows, that, you know, that Week 17 might be like Drew Stanton versus Jeff Driscoll. And, and Drew Stanton's and, got yeah. a winning record as a starting quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, hey. they may still pull that one out. And, guys, that was the schedule game. Boom. So that's schedule how you do game. that. Guys, I am so pumped up for this coming season. It's it's hey. unbelievable. Cannot wait. Oh, my goodness. I have not looked forward to a Brown season this much since probably – 2008 the year after we went 10 and 6 because i had such high hopes oh, and then absolutely. anderson let me down <laughs> Derek anderson being Derek anderson well, let me let me while we're on while we're on browns topics here why don't we jump right into a cleveland sports trivia question 
that is relevant to the Cleveland Browns franchise. If either of you guys would like to take on this question. I've got one question right now. If we want, I can keep going down. I have kind of a few other ones that I could potentially ask. But let me ask you this first one. I don't necessarily know if this is a tough question or not. I knew the answer, uh, but that's for other reasons. So the question is, Paul Brown was a high school football coach for what school in Ohio? Maslow High School. Well, all right. Apparently, that <laughs> I, I mean, the softball question. I mean, <laughs> I mean, geez, are you going to ask a question or what, yeah, Brandon? I'm not saying this. This isn't stump the Schwab here. This is, you know, this is, <laughs> this is uh, what, what what are they calling that trend on Twitter? The uh, bandwagon fan check or something like that. <laughs> uh, checking to make sure you're check? still alive and breathing. Which, by the so, way, just uh, just a side comment about that. By the way, that's the dumbest thing ever. Do you know how the Browns? I, I actually sent out a tweet not that long ago. The Browns built their fan base based on bandwagon fans. Back in the days, Jim Brown, Marion Motley, uh, Otto Graham, Lou Groza. Browns fans come from all over the world. The reason we have the biggest Browns backers organization or the big biggest fan organization in the world is because when the Browns were good, you know, stations like WTM, they used to be able to listen to that down south or, you know, across the country. People love the Browns. So there were bandwagon fans that had never even stepped foot in Cleveland that loved the Cleveland Browns. So I say to all bandwagon fans, come on over, guys. You can all come and support the Browns because that's how this fan base was built. This is why there's Browns fans in Texas and California and Alaska and Alabama and Georgia and Florida. Come on, baby. Go on, Drew. I'm sorry. I I broke off on a tangent there. No, absolutely. absolutely. So you got another question for us, Brandon? Yes, another what I consider softball, and and I almost guarantee Eric will know this. Who did the Browns select with their first pick in the 1999 draft? Drew, I know the answer, but you can take it if you want. Tim Couch? Yes. University of Kentucky. Ding, ding, ding. All right, now this one. Tim Couch was a quarterback that we absolutely ruined. He could have been somebody special in the NFL. And I'm not talking Hall of Fame special. I'm just saying he would have been a great player had the Browns not drafted him and he went to another team that was ready to rock and roll. We, Chris Palmer and Butch Davis, ruined Tim Couch. But go on. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a real frustrating thing. But I do like seeing Tim Couch come back, and he usually has nothing but nice things to say about the franchise. And the guy actually looks like, like I'm not sure if you've seen a picture of him recently. He looks like he ate a bodybuilder with how jacked he is. The Dude, guy he is ripped. He is ripped. Ripped to shreds. So He's actually on uh, Fox Sports South down here. He does some SEC coverage, so I, I do see him from time to time covering some of the games on, on uh, the local sports stations. Wow, yeah. W- w- what a cool guy. I, w- I would love to meet him in person. But now this one, I have no idea. I don't know how, how Drew or I would know this. Maybe... Maybe the uncle can come away with the W in this contest and, and, and snag this one. Who threw for the Browns' first ever touchdown in 1946? That would be like the grandpa of I mean, grandpa's grandpa. I want to say Otto Graham, but I know that's wrong. It is incorrect. Cliff Lewis. Although Graham would eventually unseat Lewis, Cliff Lewis started the first game and threw a 19-yard touchdown pass to none other than Mac 
Speedy, which is a cool, cool <laughs> name. So we've talked a little bit about the Browns. Um, I know in prior podcasts, we spent a little bit of time talking about the Indians, and we usually do a team recap at the beginning of every podcast. But I don't know about you guys, if you guys have been keeping up with the team as of lately. But after getting swept by the Royals, we decided to go back and now sweep all three games at the Mariners. And we went from what I was getting very concerned about and uh, all the inner fighting, not necessarily inner fighting, but who, who, what was the jackass's name that said Brad that? Miller. We don't, yeah, Brad Miller. So ever since Brad Miller made his ridiculous comment, one of you guys, if you want to quote him directly, go, go ahead and be my well, guest. But Brad Miller is not going to be back with the tribe. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> not a chance. So I, it, I'm still concerned, guys. Uh, Corey Kluber fell off a little bit. Uh, I thought he had uh, bounced back, and then his last start, he got annihilated. I don't even think he made it three innings, to be honest with you, on that one. Uh, Trevor Bauer did bounce back, which was good to see. And then Cookie came back, was it yesterday, with 12 Ks. Yep. So it's good to see them bouncing back. I'm still a little bit concerned. Uh, Francisco Lindor is back in Cleveland today to have his ankle checked out. I still think they're rushing him back a little too soon. I would not like to see – I don't want to see him in Cleveland until – Look, if he doesn't come back to Cleveland until mid-May, I'd be okay with it as long as we are you know, still in first place and, and keeping the Twins at bay. Uh, there's a lot of reason to be concerned still, and it starts with Kluber and Clevenger and the lack of bats and the lack of production we're get, not getting from people like J-Ram. I mean, J-Ram just hit his first home run the other day, which uh, I don't know if you saw that with guys that was hysterical. He hit that home run. He walked in. He was looking for the high fives, and the yeah. entire team ignored him. <laughs> Silent treatment. <laughs> but, Silent but treatment, then, yeah. Classic. Yeah, but then they went and mugged him. So they're leaving a lot to be desired right now, and let's let's hope and, and pray that uh, now that they are still back in first place, they can hold on. They have Atlanta coming to town tomorrow night, um, and then we'll see what happens. Atlanta uh, Atlanta's a good team, guys. Absolutely. So, uh, right now, they're not playing well. They're 500 right now, but they're a good team. They're a great young team. They they were in the playoffs last year. Don't think we're going to walk away from this weekend with another sweep. I, I If they take two out of three from Atlanta, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and and considering everything that's went on to start the year, you know, the lack of bats, the pitching staff, Clevenger going down, Kluber, you know, turning human, 11-7. and seven. I think if you told us everything that would have happened and it would be 11 and seven, I think we would all take that. Yeah. I mean, I, from, from my point of view, I am also, I'm all right with where the team sits wins and loss wise, but actual production on the field is kind of scaring me. If you go down through the list and I'm not going to go through everybody's name, but uh, Eric Stemetz, who has a batting average of 0.049, oh, but he was just, he was just sent back down. So, I mean, it, oh, okay. So yeah. point being, there are some major, in my opinion, holes within within our lineup that that not necessarily need to be addressed now, well, but just the play needs to be better from those. When players. you got when you got Leonis Martin uh, leading off, and he's got uh, 21 strikeouts, and he's also leading the team in home runs right now. He's only batting 258. I mean, one 258 is not wait. bad for this team, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> this team is not bad. But I, I quite frankly, I'd like to see, even Let's though I don't roster. like. I know. I even though I don't like Lindor in the leadoff position, you know it, it's almost natural now. But you know, thirty-eight home runs last year leading off, it's it's kind of like okay, it's kind of crazy. I'd like to see him in the three-hole, but in this team, you got to get Martin out of that three-hole. I'd like to see Lind Lindor back in that three-hole. I'm sorry, Lindor back at leadoff, well, and I then ooh, yeah. 
Yeah, and then move Martin down to like, or Martin, I'm sorry, down to like fifth or sixth. But Tito is Tito, and you know I don't even know if Tito is going to do that when he comes back. So we'll see what happens. All I have to say is all hail Carlos Santana. Praise to the high for that man coming back. Now, now I will say Cleveland management looks a lot better now in the trade of Carlos Santana and uh, Edwin Encarnacion. It was a trade, right? Was was that free agency or was that trade? No, it was it was a trade, but here's it was a free agency because remember he was with the team the year prior. They should have they should have kept him. Because at what Agreed. seventeen million or whatever he was, he's making that he signed with Philly for seventeen million. That was a bargain. They should have kept him. Yes. Uh, you know. So we, yeah, we were fortunate enough to get him back. And I love Carlos. Uh, you know, I, I have a couple buddies that that can't stand him, but Carlos is a professional baseball hitter. He knows the strike zone. I mean, he is going to get. He may strike out as many times as he walks, but his on base percentage is going to be up in the top ten of the league. His OPS is going to be up there. Uh, and you know he should hit twenty five, maybe thirty home runs in a good year. But you probably chalk him down for for twenty five dingers and ninety ribbies. Yeah, he's like been my favorite Indian. You know, the older generation had kind of had their guys that they grew up watching in the nineties, and Carlos was kind of my guy that you know I watched from as as soon as he came up, and you know all the way through until you know he left Cleveland last year. You know, that kind of hurt. So to have him back, you know, I was super pumped about. Yeah, I mean, a, a 389 batting average, that's nothing to gawk at. I know it's early on in the season and those numbers are a little bit inflated. But to your guys' point, the guy is always never, never, ever had a problem getting on base. 515 on base percentage. He's leading the team in, in I'd say, four of the five major categories. Batting average, 389. RBI is 11. On base percentage, the 515 I just mentioned. And 21 hits, so... Other than home runs with Leonis Martin, I mean, the guy's pretty much dominating our stat sheet on a night-in, night-out basis. But I think that's really good for the Indians because there needs to be some sort of stabilizing bat in that lineup. I mean, even last year, especially in the playoffs, what happened when when crunch time came around? The Indians just couldn't hit. They couldn't get on base. They never had base runners, so they could never get anything going. Everybody hits for home runs. Nobody hits to advance the runner and and frankly, having a guy like Carlos Santana that you can have a more reliable person to get on base to at least do something with, I, I like having a lot more in our lineup than an Edwin Encarnacion who is literally strikeout or home run. So guys, Game of Thrones, let me first issue a spoiler alert. What Eric and I will be discussing on Game of Thrones is all the way up to the most recent episode as of this recording, which is season eight, episode one. So we are issuing a spoiler alert. If you haven't gotten that far or haven't started and wouldn't want to know anything that could potentially spoil the series for you, please turn off Uncle and the Young Bucks right now. Because Eric and I, Eric and I would love to talk some Game of Thrones. Well, here's the first everything. spoiler. Yeah, here's the first spoiler. Baker Mayfield is the new king of the north. King of the north. <laughs> so what'd you think of episode eight, uh, the start of season eight? So I don't know what the general public's opinion is. I've seen some really mixed reviews. It's a very, let me say this. It's a very tough episode to make, like the, how long they've been gone and so much that has to happen in six episodes because it's the final season. With that being said, I was very, very disappointed 
in the amount that got accomplished in the 54 minutes of yeah but here's you got to remember though so it's been two years since the last season i get it it's not a so yeah thing to make yeah so that first episode the way i viewed it as what they did is they kind of brought everybody into winterfell they kind of gave us a little bit about everybody to get us up to speed where everybody was at they tried not to give us too much but i think they were laying the basis for the episodes upcoming uh you know they had a little fun when danny and john were riding the dragons you know they, they i think they had to do that they had to show the relationship between danny and john before john found out that john is actually danny's uncle which is really weird uh incest they gave away way too early like but they had to they had the- to be um, but they had to because when uh, Bran and um, oh dear God, why am I missing Tully? Uh, Samuel. Uh, Samuel, sorry, thank you. There's Samuel so many people Tully. you got to remember in the episode. But when when Samuel went and and told John, you know, they had to end the episode that way because I think they had to tell John Snow in this first episode to set up the next episodes. If they hadn't let Danny and John have that moment on the dragons and that moment of intimacy and trust. I think that if without that, you couldn't tell John that he's the rightful heir to the throne. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, See, Drew, was- aren't you so mad that you don't watch the show It's the best show on television. It's so well-written. The character development is amazing. And the character inter- interaction is the, the best I've seen on TV in so long. Not even close. I, I can't say that I, I'm, feel like i'm missing a whole lot but i also didn't watch breaking bad when it was on so uh i might have to shame. pick this up eventually shame shame shame, shame. shame. drew doesn't get that rep uh how much fun we will have without you drew so uh, one thing that i did think was a big positive for the episode it was actually like really funny i don't know if anybody else thought that but they had some of the best quotes from like the last couple of seasons like this episode crushed any any season's intro for, for quotes just just a few of kind of the funny moments or quotes that i remember like even the right when the episode even starts off you've got Tyrion and uh lord Varys, the eunuch jumping back and forth with like uh midget jokes and then eunuch jokes eunuch jokes yeah, yeah like you should consider yourself lucky at least your balls won't freeze off because the guy literally doesn't have any Daenerys when Sansa's like talking talking major craft to to Daenerys saying like I didn't plan to be able to feed this many people uh and three and we have to feed you know two dragons what do dragons even eat and Daenerys in the most bad bitch kind of way looks over gives her the stink eye and then says whatever they want yeah, and then uh, the uh, interaction between the Hound and Arya, that was pretty funny. Oh, and then when yeah, they, yeah. yeah it, but then when they closed out the show, it was probably where it wasn't funny, but it, was, it wasn't it was funny, haha. It was funny, oh, wow, when Jamie and Bran locked eyes, because that was the first time that Jamie had seen Bran and vice versa since the very first episode one. when he got pushed out the window. So it's uh, an instant the, meme classic for the rest but of the here's world. the the biggest thing that I think we're missing from this episode that we didn't bring up is Cersei and her getting in, getting it on with uh, Greyjoy because <laughs> that she's was, pregnant. That's my favorite she, quote, actually, from the whole from, from the whole yeah, episode. She's pregnant. Like yeah, you can take it, but she's pregnant with Jamie's kid, but yes. there is no king. The king is dead, so yes. there is no rightful heir. So take it go. Take it away. What was the, your favorite quote? So after after the quote, which is a Cersei Lannister quote. 
I, I have a Cersei hot take. Uh, but the quote first, which is hilarious because I'll explain it to you. Uh, Cersei, which was a bad bitch quote when she said it. Cersei says in talking to Euron, you want a whore? Buy one. You want a queen? Oh, it was great. It was funny. <laughs> you want a queen? Earn her like a bad son of a gun. Like, oh, yeah, I just owned you. I'm a queen. You got to earn me. She then walks 10 feet away off the throne and then basically is like, yeah, I really do need your ship. So come, let's go have sex. Well, it wasn't that she needs her ship. She needed to have sex and she needed everyone to know that they were having sex because she's pregnant with Jamie's kid. But again, you're missing that whole part. She's pregnant with Jamie's kid and there is no rightful king right now. So if Euron and her have sex and it's Euron's kid, they have an heir to the throne. Euron and her are going to get married. But season seven, Cersei specifically says, because I, I, I did a lot of rewatching prior to season eight, Cersei specifically says that uh, she is pregnant, telling Jamie, and then Jamie asks her, well, but who are you going to say as to the father? Jamie. But only to Jamie. Nobody which knows except me, for Jamie. Which leads me to my Cersei hot take. I, well, I think. My hot ahead. take, before you go, because I, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but my hot take is not about Cersei, but I think Jamie Lannister is going to be the first major character killed this season. Mm, I really so good take. It would be interesting. He doesn't have a whole lot of friends in Winterfell, exactly. Um, he doesn't have a lot of friends in Winterfell, and he's the only one that knows that Jamie's pregnant with his kid. Or yeah, so I'm sorry, Cersei's pregnant with his kid. He would definitely be a, an easy target too. So that would make almost for me in Game of Thrones style. That would make too much sense for me. I think that and. It could go one of two ways. Do you remember the part in the episode where Cersei hands Bronn a, a bow and arrow? Not a bow and arrow, crap. What's it called? A crossbow. Hands yeah. him a crossbow. And she wants him to go take care of the brothers. Well, I think, A, Bronn is never going to shoot either of them. He actually likes those two. He hates Cersei. There is going to be some awesome poetic justice served. Because Jamie Lannister is going to realize that Cersei has been plotting against them the whole time since he left. And Cersei is going to be killed by Jamie Lannister using the very crossbow that Cersei handed Bronn to kill them with. Wow, that's a hot take and a half. I cannot wait. We'll talk more Game of Thrones. It makes too much sense. sense. We will talk more Game of Thrones as our podcast goes on, as the season goes on, and hopefully we'll get Drew to watch with us so he can catch up. But what we're going to do next, guys, we actually have an interview coming up with Gus Angelone, a.k.a. Pumpkinhead. We're super excited to have Gus on the show. You know him as the Browns super fan. Uh, Gus, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us today, and uh, we really appreciate it. You got it. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Let so, me, let me. Uh, so Brandon and Drew don't know you very well, Gus, but but I do. You've become one of my best friends over the past, I don't even know how many years now. Um, so I'm going to let those guys ask you some questions. I've got a couple questions, too. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass you, though. I know you too much. Uh, but, you know, go ahead, guys. If you got any questions for Gus, go right ahead. Yeah, I guess the first one would be... Uh... What do you prefer to be called, Gus or Pumpkinhead, especially in a situation when you're talking to media like ourselves? Yeah, you guys call me uh, Pumpkinhead. I mean, most people know who who you guys are talking to, but I mean, for the casual fans, it'll probably be uh, better if you refer to me as the character. Okay, okay. Well, I guess it would be very easy then, Pumpkinhead, to ask, how did you become Pumpkinhead? Do you mind kind of shedding some light on that story? Sure. Well, as legend goes, um, Pumpkinhead all started in 2004. 
and uh, it was something that I kind of came up with just for looking for some attention. And I carved uh, three pumpkins, real pumpkins, for myself, for my brother, for my cousin. And we were all headed to the Browns game. And, you know, we, we had planned to do this all week. As we got out of the car and walking to the stadium, my cousin and my brother decided they did not want to do it. And I'm like, well, I spent all I'm going to give Frankie crap about that, by the way. <laughs> it, was, it was actually James, my brother you haven't met. Oh, it was your, oh, it was your older brother? Well, I'm the oldest, but James is the next brother under me. Actually, Frankie's the baby. So it was, it was my so cousin. So it wasn't Frankie. Okay, all right. No. So it was my brother James and my cousin Joe. And uh, like I was saying, they didn't want to be embarrassed, so to speak, and wear the pumpkins to the game. And I don't know if it was a, a bomb or just some other fan on the street, but we ended up selling one of the helmets to a guy on the street for 50 bucks. And I believe we smashed the other one. I, I don't remember. <laughs> but anyways, I walked into the stadium. I put this thing on my head. It was a real pumpkin. I carved it and painted. And I could send, you know, photographs or whatever. I, it's it's kind of funny. And, uh, of course, as yeah, that first it, pumpkin was hideous. Yeah. The original one was it was hilarious, but probably um, had a good smell too. <laughs> so yeah, I wore it to the game instantly. It was a hit. They put me on TV. They put me on the jumbotron, and you know, you guys don't know me very well, but I used to be a club DJ. And back when I was married, my my wife didn't want me DJing anymore after we got married, so she kind of made me stop doing it. But I craved attention other ways, so this was one of the ways that I seeked attention, and it really kind of took off and. It kind of grew from game to game, from season to season to where we're at now. And basically, I've got the Browns embracing me. I've, I've become very strong on social media. Um, local media always seems to want my opinion and or, you know, they they want to get me on, on TV. So it's, it's actually kind of grown into almost as a small business for me, something that I do for fun, but definitely put a lot of time and effort into so yeah that's that's kind of yeah, where you've essentially become the official unofficial mascot of the browns so to speak living oh. movable drew um why don't we just rotate back and forth so i'll let you take the next question absolutely so 31 what is it is it something pertaining to halloween or is there a little more behind that yeah actually that's that's exactly what it is 31 um originated when I first started doing it, it was a William Green um, two-tone jersey that I found at TJ Maxx. I don't know if you guys know what TJ Maxx <laughs> Somebody had put these jerseys together, and um, really, um, I thought it was a great segue into my character being that Halloween falls on October 31st, and I'm wearing a jack-o'-lantern on my head. And then um, as I started getting more entailed with it, I wanted the custom jerseys. And the only way I could find them were on eBay. I'm not going to tell you where I get the uniforms that I wear now, but I think it's pretty obvious where they come from. We'll just keep that, you know, <laughs> as it is. But anyways, so, yes, yeah, so I kind of, uh, I think for a season or two, I wore the number 30, but um, it's always been 31. And, and yes, you're dead on it. 31 is for Halloween. Well, I think uh, uh, the TJ Maxx story is great. I'm pretty sure they know me by first name by now for how often I, I'm shopping at, at TJ's. But uh, I was definitely going to say, you know, if you 
pull a few strings. We're always looking for a, a color rush young buck jersey just in the back of your head. But um, <laughs> um, I know I've done just a little bit of research and, and went to pumpkinnation.org. Can you tell us a little bit more about your tailgate? That seems like a really cool event that's held every year at the, every home game for the Barley House. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about that? Sure. So that, that also started, um, I believe we're going into our ninth or tenth season. I, I want to say ninth, but uh, we used to tailgate as a small club under the uh, West Third and Summit Bridge there, right across from the Rapid Station by the stadium. And this, I don't know, maybe Eric can speak to this, but we started the first year, 92-3, the fan came on the air. So I believe I want to say we're in our ninth season, but they were looking. I think it's been eight or nine years, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's nine. It might be ten. But anyways, um, they were looking to throw these fan tailgates, and uh, basically what they did was they hooked up with the Barley House, and then I was kind of like brought in as like a third partner as they were looking for a tie-in to the Browns. And this was even before the, the radio station was the affiliate affiliate of the Browns so they they kind of we used to do these tailgates and um they started at like you know 6 a.m and there was like 10 friends and then every year they kind of grew and eventually they were we were hosting like 100 people under this bridge and what I would do was I'd charge everybody 20 bucks a head and I'd give you all the beer you can drink and all the food (laughs) you wanted so now now Gus are they are are your sure. are your tailgate parties family friendly friendly? I'm sorry. Yes, they've always been family friendly. They have always had my my kids have always been by my side and you know I always strive to make sure that they're they're that way because I feel Browns football is a family, you know, a family affair. I I could so. have answered that myself, but I wanted you to answer because I've been there. Uh, I don't sure. know if Brandon or Drew have been there, but I will tell you uh as long as I've known Gus and as long as I've been affiliated with Pumpkinhead, uh, I do a lot of side projects for Pumpkinhead. Uh, I've always known his tailgate parties to be the biggest bash on Sunday mornings. Now, a little clarification, because I, I know that there are there's some negativity thrown your way, Pumpkinhead, uh, from time to time. But, you know, there's to just to clarify. So there's a difference between a tailgate like you would just drive up and tailgate and get obliterated and drunk and eat food and whatnot. Your tailgates are really, truly parties. You throw a party in the parking lot of the barley house. Do you not? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because if I could clear the air, I mean, I do get a lot of flack with people and it's mostly haters or jealousy that, that gets directed towards me. But I feel the definition of a tailgate is any pregame party that happens before any sporting event. So yes, technically my, my parties are not your traditional tailgates where you can roll up with your little hibachi grill and a 12 pack of beer. And some friends. <laughs> Basically what, what I'm doing is I'm throwing an ex- all inclusive tailgate fan friendly, family friendly party for the entire city of Cleveland, meaning it's free of charge. Anyone can come. You buy your alcohol, your beer, your food from the vendors or the barley house or whoever's set up in the lot. And basically, I'm doing the entertainment. Um, I'm, I'm doing giveaways, contests, all kinds of crazy stuff. So basically, you know, you could show up and essentially not spend a dime and, and partake in everything that's going on. And, and it's really just an all-inclusive 
carnival type experience that, you know, again, it's not, I, I don't want to say it's not a tailgate because it's definitely a, uh, a pregame party, but again, absolutely, it, it's definitely something different that goes on in the Muni lot. I can't believe that people would actually have a problem complaining (laughs) about an awesome, fun, free party just because of the the technicalities behind it being a tailgate. I think that's just hilarious, frankly, and uh, the hate behind that is funny. Brandon and Drew, I'm going to be up a couple times this year. In fact, I do know, like we said uh, earlier in the podcast, I'll be up for the Buffalo Bills game. Uh, You guys can come to the tailgate as my guest, and you can meet Pumpkinhead. I'll tell you what, the Browns uh, are even so gracious that every Sunday – uh, the drum line, you know, the drum line that the Browns have comes yes. to the Barley House parking lot and they perform. So it's like this big show uh, and everybody's having a great time. Uh, when Pumpkinhead gets on, on top of his his trailer, uh, they used to call it the pumpkin sled at one time. I, right now it's just the, the trailer, right? But he gets up on top and it's there's, you know, smoke and lights and, you know, it's just a huge production and I got to see firsthand everything that goes behind it and the, all the work that Pumpkinhead puts into this thing. Um, and he does it. It's a labor of love. Uh, it's a labor of love for the Browns and for what he does. And and it's just a great time. And yeah. there's still a lot of beer. Yeah, for sure. You know, if you guys want to break some news here, we've, we've upgraded our trailer this year. We've kind of went from a moderate-sized trailer to a very large trailer. So... We're actually going to be expanding, you know, the so-called entertainment, the party aspect of the the events. So with that being said, I mean, there's a lot of surprises coming to to when we, we kind of hashtag the party. We call it Sixth and Barley. But there's going to be a lot of surprises this year that people are going to want to experience. And you never know who you're going to run into at one of Pumpkinhead's parties. Uh, the list is long and varied. And, you know, because of it, uh, Pumpkinhead's got to, you know, former Browns greats, uh, prominent Cleveland celebrities, uh, major and minor celebrities. When the last tailgate party I went to, I met, you know, uh, people from the WWE, which was pretty phenomenal. Uh, you know, so it's just it's a crazy environment. And again, you never know who you're going to run into. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the favorite guests we've had in the past have been anywhere from boxing legends um we've had steepy Miocic. he's yeah, a good friend of ours and a boy steepy will come in the trailer and hang out with my boys play video games with them and stuff you know it, it's like eric said you never know who you're going to run into we've had um I'm trying to think of the indians player with all the tattoos uh clevenger uh, nope he, he was sunshine uh, uh what was the one? Napoli. Party at Napoli. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Mike Napoli. Napoli was there. That was a good time. Um, we've had, you know. It's a party at Pumpkins. Party yeah, at Pumpkins. I mean, you, like Eric said, you never know who's going to run into at that game. We we hosted Kareem Hunt's family last year for the Chiefs game. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's just insane. I had actually, surprisingly enough, before I knew – the connection between Pumpkinhead and Gus and uh, the fact that Eric had known you. I actually found my way stumbling into one of the tailgates last year because my roommate, who you might know, Ben Fontana, he works for 92.3 The Fan. Yes. Ben is my roommate, and he told me to come over and check out this awesome tailgate right You know, at the parking lot of the Barley. I came over, had an absolute blast, and that was the first time I actually made it to one of the tailgates, and uh, it was a blast. I, I highly endorse it. 
Yeah, it's it's always fun for me when I hear that because a lot of people that that have never been to the tailgate, you know, and and I've had haters show up and then they they have a completely different opinion after they leave. But I love when I when I get those kind of compliments and endorsements from people that have never been because really it's something you need to experience, especially if you're just looking for a couple pops before the game and you don't want to, you know, have to worry about lugging all your stuff down. It's it's just something that you know, it's kind of become an animal and something that I think everybody should stop by and experience at least once. Absolutely. And I cannot wait. So with all that being said, Gus, what is the the favorite thing about being Pumpkinhead? So, I mean, you, you probably won't believe this, but my the thing that drives me or that makes me excited about being the alter ego, the character, is really all the the, uh, the fringe benefits, the perks, the the things that I get to give to my, my two boys. I have two boys, CJ and Vince, they're 11 and 10 years old. And, you know, I don't get paid to do this character. I, I, I do this, you know, I have sponsors and I have other means of generating revenue to throw these tailgates. But really what I enjoy is all the, the benefits that I can extend to my kids, you know, stuff that I never got to experience when I was their age, like meeting Bernie Kozar or going on the field or, heading over to Brown's, you know, headquarters. And, you know, I, I'm not going to disclose the business that I had it there, but they ended up playing video games with the equipment kids and Joe Thomas playing, you know, Madden. I mean, legends. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, how, how can you put a price tag on stuff like that? Yeah. Absolutely. So talking about that pumpkin head and, and since I, I know both your boys and, and I know you, uh, you know, were you raised the Browns fan? Because I know you're raising CJ and Vince as Browns fans. So were you raised as a Browns fan? I mean, it wasn't beat into my head the way I've kind of done it to my kids. But, you know, again, when I was, you know, their age, Bernie Kozar, Brian Seif, Webster Slaughter, or the people that the players that I looked up to, the guys that I, I enjoyed. So with this new wave of Browns, you know, players and, and stuff, it's really something that I'm looking forward to because, as we all know, the Browns have been terrible the last 20 years. So finally, you know, something that we can enjoy together. The Browns being bad, actually, for the last two decades, it's been great for me being able to go and attend games because they were so cheap that I was actually able to go to every home game. But now, now I'm having to pay a little bit pricier penny, uh, 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 an effect I'm happy to, uh, to pay for in, in advance. But, um, Going off of that, who is your, because I know you talked about a couple different generations of Browns players, who is your favorite Browns player of all time? And then if you had to pick someone on the current team. So my, my current, you know, player, you know, from when I was growing up is obviously Bernie Kozar, but, you know, that's that's an easy guess, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's great because he's become a personal friend of mine over the last couple of years. So that that's really a thrill to me. But and I can't wait to meet him. You're going to hook me up, right? Right. <laughs> I'm going to get to meet Bernie, right? <laughs> Definitely. But outside of Bernie, uh, my favorite player growing up was Brian Brennan. He was just that fast, speedy little white receiver, kind of like, you know, a Julian Eldeman or whatever. And Julian Eldeman, uh, yeah. But uh, he was my favorite. And then, you know, I'm going to go again, you know, quarterback, wide receiver, tandem here because the current – favorite Browns player was obviously Baker, but um, being that I've raised my, my boys Browns fans, the only player I allowed my 
my oldest son to root for was OBJ, and guess where OBJ plays now? <laughs> so that's kind of like that's an awesome. added bonus for me. So, you know, my goal this year is to meet OBJ. I've met Baker. I've met most of the players. So that's a true goal. story, by the way, guys. I, I spoke to Pumpkinhead right before the uh, OBJ trade was going down, and he was telling me how pumped up his son was that OBJ got traded to the Browns. Uh, we we discussed it ad nauseum actually, and it's uh, so I'm very very happy for your boys. Yeah, so that's that's a thrill, and you know obviously I mean who can not love Baker? You know I think he embodies the city of Cleveland. I think his attitude, his persona fits us like a glove. I just think you know these media members like Colin Cowherd and all this nonsense that just fuels Baker's fires, just like what you know Cleveland's all about. You know we've been beaten down and. You know, we won the NBA championship in 16, and I really think that the Browns are for real, and people are going to be surprised by by what they what's going to happen, what's going to transpire this year. Absolutely, and hopefully we make some uh, some new memories. But uh, if you had to pick one, what is your favorite Browns memory of all time? Hmm. Let's see. I can go. I'll give you two. So I'll. I, I used to go to the Browns game as, as a child with my uncle, um, one of my dad's two twin brothers. And I don't really remember the game, but I remember the Browns lost. And that it's kind of a, a weird memory because I remember going to a lot of Browns wins. But whenever they lost, I remember leaving the old Muni Stadium. And whenever they lost, the drunk people would be tipping over the porta potties. So I remember Cleveland and drunk people. What are you talking yeah. about? We don't have any. I here. remember this vividly, but we were trudging through the snow, and I remember seeing the blue snow from you know the the porta potties everywhere. So that was kind of a funny memory. And then I, I you know, it's porta potties and pornos playing in the back of trailers, which was I can't oh, tell you the number of times man. I've walked by the Muni lot and saw porno videos going on in the back of a trailer so yeah i'm trying to think of another good memory maybe when uh, i think it was jamal lewis when he or was it william green but one of the running backs broke the thousand yard mark for the season i don't know maybe eric you can help me out who was who did it first was it jamal lewis i believe no, I think it was. I think you. I think you were right with William Green, but I'll have yeah. to go back. It's been so long, and they sucked. Exactly. So I, you know, you kind of forget. <laughs> we don't really have a lot of good memories. I mean, I remember being there for Bottlegate and wanting yeah. to throw something on the field, <laughs> but the only thing near me was an empty carton of like popcorn. I was <laughs> at Bottlegate with my brother Jeremy, who you've met, and I was in my season ticket seats at the at the time. I was so afraid of losing my seats, I never threw anything, and I wish I had now looking back. Right. I mean, I I, I would have. Def- I'm glad there was nothing around me because I definitely would have thrown stuff on the field. But like I said, all there was near me was an empty popcorn container, so I really, you know, I couldn't couldn't do anything. But looking back, I'm kind of glad that worked out the way it did. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> But, you know, if I'm going to say for the new Browns, the best memory was being part of, you know, that Jets game. When yes. Took over because when when uh, Landry threw him that two point conversion, I don't know if you guys know where I sit, but I sit on the corner of the end zone where the visitors come out of the tunnel. Landry whipped that ball to Baker, kind of lobbed it over to him. And he did that right in front of us. I mean, that little prance that he moment. did. Yeah. Like <laughs> yes. he was 10 feet in front of me doing that. It was it, it, that's going to go down as like my favorite memory. 
that's awesome. Drew, I know both of us were there, and I, if I had an answer right on the spot, my, my favorite Browns memory as well was, I think, the very first play Baker Mayfield took over as quarterback, and the entire crowd went dead silent right before yeah. the ball is snapped back in shotgun, drops back, throws it past. Everyone's holding their breath. Is this kid for real? Are we going to be able to do this? So much is riding on this. He completes the pass. And we all go absolutely insane. And then he leads a great drive. And we sit here as Cleveland Browns fans and are finally saying, we have found our guy and it is going to be a marvelous journey. I couldn't agree more. So, hey, Pumpkinhead. uh, So talking about your tailgate, and I know you've taken it on the road before. uh, Two things concerning, you know, tailgating. One, what's your favorite away city and two do you have like a favorite tail tailgate ritual or food or is there something you have to do every tailgate so kind of a two-part question one favorite away city and then two what you know your your most favorite thing about the tailgates well i'll I'll start off by telling you my least favorite tailgate city or (laughs) like least favorite venue was definitely the cincinnati Bengals. the fans couldn't be more rude the bungles yeah, it's just a terrible experience, <laughs> yeah. especially showing up there in full gear or even posing player. You know, any anything not Bengals, you just get treated like crap. But with that being said, the best experience, and I've been there several times, is it's got to be the Colts. Those people will buy you beers. They will go out of your their way to, to make sure you feel welcome. But uh, I can't wait to play the Colts again in Indy because they have the worst tailgating i mean they're great people but they i don't think they know what tailgating is because like there's like three cars and i just feel like that's something i want to bring to that city is our tailgates um favorite tailgate food or ritual i would definitely say with the way that i do tailgates it's my it's got to be my t-shirt cannon but uh to this year i've added well i I guess i'm going to leave that I have a new addition for this year. But anyways, favorite food would be um, I do these things called pizza burgers. And basically it's two pieces of pizza, like sheet pizza. So they have to be square. I get a fresh, fresh uh, sausage patty from Holiday Sausage that's homemade. Oh, Um, damn, dude. I'm hungry. Come on. I haven't had lunch yet. Why are you doing this to me? Okay. So check it out. Then then I grill that up to perfection. A little bit of... um, sauteed mushrooms and onions oh yeah a little bit of marinara sauce i melt a couple of slices of provolone cheese and i use the two pieces of pizza as the bun oh that is phenomenal (laughs) holy crap those are my signature uh pumpkin hey where was that when i was back home in uh, (laughs) december did you get the hot dog yeah no i didn't get shit <laughs> uh, I, I look forward to uh, hopefully chowing down on a few of those this uh, this coming season. Uh, I wanted to kind of change pace a little bit, and sure. if I am correct, I believe you were a part of the Marines. If so, thank you very much for your service first and foremost. And to follow, why did you choose the Marines? Was it a good decision for you looking back on it? And just tell me a little bit about some of your you know favorite memories as being a part of that. Yeah, so thank you for recognizing my service. I was a, a, a Marine Corps veteran. I, I, I've been, I served 94 through 2002. Um, and it's just something that kind of happened with a bunch of buddies in high school. Um, if I'm being completely honest, it was kind of like a peer pressure decision. And <laughs> I think eight of us signed up at once. And when it came down to deployment or whatever, boot camp, 
only two of us went through with it, me and another friend. But I really feel at that time in my life, uh, being 17 when I went, because my birthday was late, they allowed me to go to boot camp early. Um, I think it was a good decision because I really didn't have any direction or focus. College wasn't for me, so it was something that I feel has shaped the person that I am now. Um, I wouldn't want my boys to go in the military with the way things are, but, you know, if that's what they choose, I would support them. But, yeah, definitely um, served my And I'd like years. to point out, too, I'd like to point out, too, Brandon and Drew, is that uh, knowing Pumpkinhead, you know, he – takes that very seriously as a, as a veteran. Um, and in fact, I know that every year, I know that you typically team up with Toys for Tots and all the Marine charities and give back to the community. So I want to personally thank you. I know that. I don't know a lot of other people understand or know that you use your uh, minor celebrity to also do good in the community. And that's one of those uh, charities I know you've been involved with in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I... I... I and um, I want to say brag about or put out there, but I do a lot of charity work and no, but uh, I'm bragging it for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm bragging for you because I want people to understand that you know you you are uh, a this great person, uh, and the fact that you do give back to the community means a lot to me. And I know you don't go out there and broadcast that you do these things. These are things behind the scenes, but I know about it, and I'm just letting people know. The haters yeah, have got to hate that, that you're an actually good person, Gus. I, I don't know what to tell you. You're, you're coming off really well here, and I think they're really disappointed. Well, I do the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's jump in a, a little more Browns action. Thinking back to your first Browns game, uh, what what can you remember about you know going to the stadium for your first time and taking in a little bit of Browns football? Um, basically. It's got to be with my uncle just being rowdy watching, you know, people my age now, you know, sneaking in dog houses with pegs in it and, you know, throwing batteries on the field and, and walking in with bones and stuff like that. It's just hey, it's a very little secret here. So, Gus, you said something here. You said you used to go with your uncle. Why right. was it that you went with your uncle? I happen to know that your dad might not have been a Browns fan. Yeah, so my dad, you know, he's always been a ball buster and always <laughs> against the curb. So being that with that said, you know, he owned a bar and, you know, my dad passed away a couple of years ago. But anyways, my dad liked to bust balls with everybody. So whatever the, the popular thing was, he'd do the exact opposite. So what Eric was alluding to is my dad was a Steelers fan. My dad was a oh. Michigan football fan. My Whoa. Dad was um, oh, no. So whatever, you know, was like the evil thing to do, you know, my dad, you know, did that. I, I still that's that that's the thing that cracks me up so much, because knowing how diehard you are and how diehard your brothers are, knowing that your your dad was the exact opposite. It, it, I mean, he reminds me so much of what my dad does all the time, except for your dad took it to the extreme. And uh, I the only unfortunate thing is I'm, I'm sorry, I never got to meet him. Uh, may he rest in peace. But it's. It's it, it, that's a funny story to me, and I, I think that tells a lot about who you are too. Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, I had he's got a personalized Steeler jersey, and when he passed away, um, my good friends at Heirloom Framing, they professionally matted and framed his Steeler jersey with pictures from different holiday parties with him wearing it, with me and my brothers surrounding him, and I have a Steeler jersey hanging in my house, believe it or not. So uh, dirty little, little secret. 
Yep. <laughs> little secret. Well, thank you so much again for, for talking with us. We've just got two more for you if, if you've sure. got time. Um, so a lot of this has been talking about Pumpkinhead, what it is that, you know, you do and everything that, that is a part of your life. What sort of hobbies and activities do you do when you're not being Pumpkinhead? Do you have a full-time job outside of, of all the work that you do? Because it sounds like you do, you, do, you, know, you do a lot of different things to get set up for these tailgates and for meeting other people. What do you do when you're not Pumpkinhead? So that's a great question. Actually, the whole Pumpkinhead, the tailgates and whatnot, it's, it's become from a hobby to almost a full-time job. Something I don't doubt it. Yeah, it's something I work on all year round, but I do have, uh, uh, I work at General Motors. I've been there 20 years. And then I also own and run my own property maintenance company. I do landscaping and plowing. But as far as hobbies outside of the Browns, uh, I have two small children, like I said, 10, 11. So if it's, if I'm not messing around with the Browns, my, my focus and my attention are to my boys. Well, that's lots of basketball and lots of flag football. Yeah, and... <laughs> I mean, Eric can speak to that. I mean, you don't really have time for hobbies outside of much anything, practices and games. And Yeah, you know, when you have small kids, uh, Brandon and Drew, your life becomes about your kids, which I, we actually, believe it or not, Gus, we actually talked about my daughter in this episode and a little bit about that. So it, it kind of a good segue. Sure. Absolutely. So for the last but not least... Uh, and we'll keep this one short. We'll keep this one short, Pumpkinhead. We played the schedule game uh, it, this episode, so we don't want to necessarily rehash the entire schedule uh, because it, you know, sixteen games is a lot. But could you play the schedule game with us? Where do you have the Browns finishing, and what are the highlights of this year's schedule? And where do you think we may falter, and where do you think we may shine? Um. Well. I'm saying, you know, an early prediction, you know, barring any major catastrophes or injuries is 12 and four. Um, I know that one of the young bucks had that as well. (laughs) So I'm predicting 12 and four, um, the marquee game for me, and it's actually going to be my crown jewel tailgate is obviously going to be that Sunday night Rams home game. You know, I I cannot wait to set the city on fire for that. I have some special surprises planned for that game. Outside of the Sunday night game, you know, that was always a goal of mine. It was to host, you know, a prime time. I've I've got to do it once or twice, but my my goal is to host a home playoff tailgate. So with that being said, you know, I'm looking forward to the Rams game. I'm looking forward to the Thursday night Steelers game. all the rest of the home games are at one o'clock, but we we do some friends and mine. You actually were discussing it today at the restaurant. We were discussing our away game plans. We're thinking of New York. We're definitely thinking of the Steelers four o'clock game. So um, I just want to say to everybody, you're not going to want to miss the tailgates this year because I, I have some serious upgrades and surprises <laughs> coming. I can't wait to be there, Gus. You know I will be there uh, on October 10th, I believe it is, against the Bills. So I'll be in attendance there. And I'll definitely be making my way up from Atlanta for another game because it was just such a blast when I came up in December. Uh, Not just hanging out with you, but experiencing the entire tailgate and the circus that is, you know, surrounds the whole, uh, you know, 6th and Barley. 
Sure. Yeah, I can't wait to have you you back. I mean, you don't come home often, but when you do, you know, we, we do it upright when you're here. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. So <laughs> I've got them finishing eleven and five. Uh, I actually, I, if you listen back, you'll hear that uh, I actually had them losing quite a few games early on, but then that the end of the schedule, uh, five of our last seven are against division rivals, but I have them sweeping out and finishing eleven and five. Uh, I, I think it's going to be just a that we have been waiting so long for a year like this. And I'm so happy that we all get to share this together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, as far as the schedule goes, if I'm going to be completely honest, I really don't care what the schedule is. My my goal or my expectations for this team this year is to get in the playoffs. I don't care if it's home away, wild card division by whatever. Just get us into the race. That, that's my Absolutely. expectations for this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, hey, uh, Brandon, Drew, do you have any further questions for Pumpkinhead? Just I a don't. big thank you. We really, really Absolutely. appreciate it. This has been a blast for us on our end. I hope it was something you enjoyed on your end as well. Yeah, anytime you guys need to you know, hit me up, I'm available, and I look forward to having you guys at the tailgate and showing you all the things that I talked about in person. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Pumpkinhead, Gus, thank you. You're uh, you're one of my best friends. I appreciate everything you do for me. And, and uh, you know, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. I uh, look forward to enjoying the Brown season with you. And uh, we'll we'll talk again soon. And again, just thank you so very much. No problem. Go Browns, guys. Don't forget Go about Browns. those pizza burgers. You got it. <laughs> Well, guys, that wraps up another episode of Uncle and the Young Bucks. I hope you enjoyed. And again, we just want to say thank you to Pumpkinhead. Thanks, Brandon and Drew. And we will see you next week. Go Browns!